This week on the podcast, we talk all things Brownlow and those two epic prelims before throwing forward to the biggest day on the footy calendar. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, podcast for another week. Our second last week of podcasts uh, for the foreseeable future. My name is Matt Walsh. I'll be host today. Christian Jolly from Champion Dart. I'm going to say hello to you first because I forgot you last week. How's things uh, over in your corner of the table? Yeah, good, thanks. What did you make of uh, the weekend's action? Yeah, no, two, um, two great finals, I thought. Um, Geelong Richmond sort of kicked it off Friday night. That uh, first half sort of surprised me of how much Geelong controlled the game, but then Richmond, you always expected them to come, and they finally came, and then what can you say about Saturday afternoon? Just an absolute classic. We will uh, touch on uh, both those uh, finals shortly. Neil Seawang, uh, what did you think of uh, the weekend's action? Loved it. I think prelim prelim weekend is probably my fa- my favourite weekend of the footy calendar. I didn't get to go to either of the games this year, but I've got so many great memories of, of prelims. They're so intense. The, the crowds are so involved. and I, They almost feel more intense than actual grand finals a lot of the time. Um, but I just love prelim weekend. And uh, yeah, both games, neither games at this point. Game for the purists, aren't they? Where, yeah. where the fans are sort of allowed in before next week's going to be all given to the corporates, Jake. Yeah, it's not very fair, is it? <laughs> no, uh, your your weekend was a bit different to ours, though. We were we were sort of keeping tabs on on the footy, but you were up in Singapore with the Grand Prix up there. What can you tell us uh, from Singapore? Uh, it's very hot and it was very hazy. Yeah, couldn't see much. Put your hand like that just in front of your face and couldn't even see it. It was pretty bad. Were you able to to get your tablet out or your computer and, and watch the games? Uh, I did. I was watching a dodgy live stream from the um, the press centre up there. <laughs> uh, it was the Giants game. We watched the last quarter and had to listen to some Russian commentary, which was a little bit different. But <laughs> Russian they, commentary? Yeah, well, we listened for about 10 seconds and then we turned it off because it was just dreadful. So. <laughs> Chuck it on mute and um, just uh, watch the action. Yeah, so I watched the last uh, last bit of that game, but unfortunately it was like on a three-minute delay, so I looked over back at my laptop, and it was just when it got to like the last three-minute mad scramble, and I looked back at my laptop, and it's like full-time, so it was kind of a spoiler there. So what's it like when you're in a in the, the press area of a, of a sport like F1, and you're trying to bunker down and, and watch a sport that probably 95% of people don't even well, know? Well, all, all the UK journalists were crowding around watching, because they all find the throw-in... Over the over the top, <laughs> hilarious. So they're all so wanting the they were all willing the ball to go over the line so they could see it. <laughs> that throwing. was what they were keen on. Yeah. So um, everyone was kind of getting in on it towards the end. So it was good. Very busy weekend, and yeah, feeling a little bit tired uh, today. Just got in, but Matt, that's how you uh, that's how you, you show up for work. You don't take two weeks off. Um, <laughs> no, I, I did a I did a red eye and, and came in for the podcast one week yeah, as well. You, you're you, a good you man. and I, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Hey, um, we're going to throw out, uh, we're going to throw three on three off to the side, uh, which is our, usually our first segment because we've barely stuck to it all year. Uh, we're just going to instead have a <laughs> bit of an open discussion <laughs> <laughs> because it's been, it was such a big weekend um, and you, you throw the Brownlow in, which was on last night and congratulations to Nat Fife for winning his second medal and there's just too much to talk about. So we might as well start with Fife as it's the most recent news. Uh, Jake, what are your initial thoughts uh, on, on his win? Well... I think we can find from about 15 weeks ago when he raised the elbow on Tom Lynch, Mm. uh, it made my gut full. I was very disappointed with that, that he didn't get suspended. Now, he's a great player and probably a worthy winner, but that action alone, I mean, come on. If that was Toby Green, he'd be getting four weeks for that. So I'm a bit disappointed that he got off from that and then goes on a win. I'm surprised there wasn't much talk. There's no talk at all. Yeah, it was the elephant in the room, but no one discussed it. So I think because it was so early in the year, people forget. If it happened around 20, I think everyone talks about it a little bit more. But, oh, look, you can't take anything away from his season. Having said that, though, he polled 33 votes. So if you're looking at votes in terms of 
what a player's achieved in a season. Statistically, according to the umpires, that's the fourth best individual season ever. Doesn't he didn't, didn't feel like he he had that great of a season? No. Yeah, am, I, am I just by myself there? I always, especially when when East Coast based media are talking about West Coast based players and clubs, I always sort of I try to. Um, take note that there is a bit of, you know, you know sort of out of sight, out of mind with, with the, the West Coast Eagles and, and Fremantle. But we still watch them but every we, week. We, we, we absolutely do. And and having looked at Fife's year, he had a he had a remarkably good year. Um, and I think the one thing that he benefits from at Fremantle, and especially this year, especially since Lockie Neal went to Brisbane, is that there's no real sort of Robin to his Batman this year. Um, there was no one really stealing votes. And it's a bit of a cliche, stealing votes off. I hate off. when people say stealing yeah. Everyone <clears> is stealing votes <throat> off one you. another. But <laughs> then you look at the two uh, Dogs players that, that polled really well, Jack McRae and Marcus well. Bontempelli. Uh, you know, 22 votes apiece and, and Dangerfield and Kelly. And you can kind of see where, why, you know, instead of getting one vote, he might get two or three. And especially in a loss, it, it kind of, I can see where it come from. And like you said, he had a great year. Uh, one of the best of all time. Ah, it's questionable, but... Congratulations to him. He's a two-time Brownlow medalist. He's, he's a star, and I think we discussed our players of the decade um, maybe five or six weeks ago on this podcast, looking at you know Buddy and uh, Danger and Gaz and, and so forth. But in terms of the next generation, in terms of maybe the guys in their mid-career now, does 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 that win put Fife ahead of say Dangerfield and, and Martin. Dustin Martin? Is is he now the best player of, of his generation? He might be. Oh, he might be. Uh, I still like Dangerfield more um, when he's playing in the midfield but I yeah I mean he's you can't really go wrong with either of them yeah, it's hard to split all three I still and I'm probably a little bit different to Jack I have Dustin Martin if they're all playing at their very best I would pick Dustin Martin well, for, his 2017 year was exactly, Dustin I think, Martin's I think kicking that, is, is ridiculously that's good that's why I've got him yeah. I've got him slightly ahead of the other two because of his kicking in, in football you should rate kicking quite highly uh, you think so yeah. football I guess <laughs> uh, but looking at Nat Fife, I mean yeah in terms of consistency for five or six years, he'd have to be number one. I was sort of just saying on at the, at the top flight of their game, I still got Dustin Martin probably a nose ahead. All right, well, enough about the Brownlow. We should move on because there were two amazing preliminary finals uh, on the weekend and there were so many stories that came out of both of them. Uh, start with, I guess, Friday night, Richmond and Geelong. So the Cats looked like they had the, the Tigers covered there for a little bit, opened up a 20-point lead. Uh, there were some injuries mounting for the for the Tigers. Cochin came off, Soldo came off, Graham came off, and then Broad was... Concussed, and I think I even put on Twitter. I was like, you know what? If the Tigers can come back and win this, it, they're a bloody good side, and, and and they've got a lot of medal about them. And they managed to do it, and and they were excellent. So to, obviously they start favourite, I think, on in on Saturday. But you know, huge favourite. What do we? Where do we rate that performance in terms of of modern prelims? I mean, the the as you said, I think the Cats um, had such a ascendancy, especially in that second quarter. Um, and the fact that they missed quite a few easy set shots too, they almost could have put the game to bed, but hats off to Richmond. Halftime probably came at a good time for them to be able to, I guess, um, take stock and, and work out where they were falling down, and then, then it was a different game after halftime. But I think the better team won through won through to uh, the decider, and, and I think they've got you know, a lot of reasons why they would be would be heavy favourites for Saturday. The most impressive part of the night for me was I, I sort of sat there at halftime expected Richmond to definitely come back, didn't know if they'd get in front or anything. I thought it would take him a quarter and a half to get the game back to even. It was within 15 minutes of that third quarter. It just showed once once they get a run on, they are unstoppable at their best. And, and they showed it in in 12 to 15 minutes of that third quarter. Tom. Same thing against Brisbane as well. I mean, in the first, the, the, you know, Brisbane were all over them. And then it was just like, they just, they, they can turn a game around very quickly because they, they can be efficient. Um, and what was the most, I guess, pleasing, if you like, you know, from a Richmond point of view was, 
they didn't panic. I mean, they could have easily, have, when they thought back 12 months earlier to what happened in the prelim mm. final mm. in 2018, they could have easily fallen away. But they regrouped. And as you say, halftime, halftime did come at a good time for them. They, they weren't able to regroup and they came out. And they were they were the better side. And look, as you say, they go on um, the better side, win through the grand final. But what I find staggering is that if you told me 12 weeks ago that Collingwood and Geelong, neither of them would be in the grand final, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would have believed that. It is hard to believe because they were the two best teams. At, at Clear best the year. teams. Uh, Tom Lynch as well uh, would be remiss not to mention him and his five goals. Five goals in a prelims, a mighty effort. And not only were they five goals, but they were five goals consistently throughout the game and, and really when his side needed them. He looks like the sort of bloke who might be able to kick a rare bag in a grand final. He could be the most important player that runs out on that ground on Saturday. He's been so good, hasn't what he? Money well spent, yeah. hey. The fact that they didn't give up a draft pick for him and just put him in their salary cap. He was always going to have to have a really, 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 really good year to kind of justify everything and, and for people to sort of say, well, you know, they, they already had a great team. Why'd they bring this guy in? If they land a flag, and I mean, and as you say, you, you look at what he did in the prelim, he, he plays well in the grand final. It's justified straight away. And, and what about the stark difference for, for someone like Tom Lynch? For for all of his career until this year, he's been playing up at the Gold Coast where three men and a dog watch his games. <laughs> and then he comes out and a big, big part of his move was to be in a big Melbourne club and, and he to play on the big yeah. stage. And he, and, he, and he looks like he's born to do it. I think the, the thing I wrote from uh, in the wash-up from Friday night was he was born to play in yeah. these sorts of games. Uh, you could just see he relished the, the crowd, relished the opportunity. He's such a good kick for goal. Mm. Um, it, he's just born to play on the MCG in, in front of 100,000 people. Um, so he's, you know, obviously a couple of good stories out of that game, but the other prelim, oh. Saturday's prelim, I think my initial reaction, and I posted this on Twitter as well, was Jeez, the best a, since... Love a good tweet, don't, I don't you? Mind Very good active tweet. on the old tweet. Um, was best since 99. Um, and, and, you know, I think in terms of... I think, I think we, there was a, a prelim in 2016 that you're, you're forgetting. That was a pretty good one. That yes, was but, but it wasn't really as big as an upset, I don't think. But uh, this is what I'm struggling with. I don't think this was that much of an upset. Christian and I called it last week, and if you look at oh, the, here we go. If you look at if you look at the actual like odds, they weren't. It wasn't like they were a ten to they one were, outsider. They were three dollars. They were beyond three dollars by three. the time yeah, the game started. That's not that much of an outsider. With no green, no Whitfield. No green, I, yeah. no Whitfield. I think that tipped the scales and, for me and then that Phil, they can't win it. Phil Davis dislocates his finger in the warm up, and then he injures his calf, goes off for twenty minutes, comes back on, injures his shoulder, and then has to go back off and then come back. I on. just didn't think Collingwood was travelling that well. You, I was, think you're right they about were that. Struggling Jake. to score. I think everyone kind of was. Just yeah, it was almost yeah. I sort of sort of said I think the last five or six weeks of the season, everyone was sort of looking at Collingwood. They were winning games, but they were sort of playing well in maybe one mm. quarter per game, one and a half. We, the we biggest question they, mark they beat, was could they do it at the G? Yeah, and yeah. they they beat yeah. Geelong. Collingwood beat Geelong in the first week of finals. You know, with a score of fifty-five or sixty-one or something, and it it just turned, and all of a sudden Collingwood were the best team in it, mm. and they were unstoppable, and Giants weren't going to get near them. I just thought, yeah, sort of taking away everything about the Giants and what they had to go through. I just thought Collingwood was massively overrated by the public last week. Taking a broader look then, I mean, the last five minutes, I don't think I've seen a frenetic finish to a game like that for some time. Well, it was a scrap, but it was... It it was was... a beautiful scrap. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's a good way to put it. Do you know my favourite part of that whole prelim (laughs) was Shane Mumford selling massive candy to Scott Pendlebury with about 15 <laughs> seconds to go in a gold square. If that had have 
blown up in his face and he had he got caught holding the ball which a, a lumbering ruckman you'd assume that would probably happen the fact that he got got past him and kicked the ball up the ground that was hilarious i loved it mumford's last two three four minutes was outstanding yeah. uh and I, i'm not sure if it, it was because Brody grundy looked a bit tired towards the end of the game and, and mumford still had a bit of juicy i mean you'd sort of expect it to be the other way around but mumford stood up so tall in those last five minutes competed when he needed to cleared the ball a couple of times <laughs> salt um, and candy basically helped the Giants win the game. I mean, the only thing that that really is a negative from that game, guys, is the art controversy. Uh, and, and Christian, I know you, you, know, you mentioned this as well, but you know they got it right two out of three times. But you can't be getting it wrong when you've invested that much money into a system uh, that doesn't work when it needs to. Yeah, the, I, th- I think that adds to the confusion is that the two that they did get right on the day, there wasn't much difference between... The, the second one and the third one in terms of, of conclusive evidence yeah the yeah. second one being the one they missed the third one being they, they sort of did get onto that one and changed it but yeah it's it's just puzzling it's just exactly that they've, they've sold us the arc and how good it is and they it, it proved itself right twice and the third time it's just it's mind-boggling I was I was so concerned as that game reached its, its conclusion that that the Giants were getting it done by under a goal and then that decision would actually cost a team a spot in the grand final and that's a bit of a concern heading into the grand final like if they don't get it right, you understand. You know the split decisions are, are difficult, but that was so obvious. Well, what, the how talk, did they get it wrong? The talk going, um, about the the decision, the score review system, the the, the old one was, geez, what if this happens in a, a prelim or a grand final? And well, it's always that the, for anything. But we've seen it happen yeah. now, and yeah. I, you're right. I was so nervous in the last five minutes, not only because the game was such a, a thrilling contest, but I was nervous for Gil because he would have had some <laughs> serious an- uh, questions to answer, and you couldn't just sort of say hey, we got it wrong, because it, it would have literally cost a team a grand final berth. Mm. You know what always annoys me, though? It's kind of when people are like, oh, you know, we, we don't want the reviews to take forever. And it's like, just get on with it. Just put the just just put the result up on the scoreboard. It's like, what's the rush? Yeah. Like, if it takes 40 seconds to get it right instead of 30 to get it wrong, who cares? Let it take a minute if it's so hard if, if you have to look at it and make sure you get it right what is the harm in it taking a minute I yep. think I posted to Twitter would you believe it um, <laughs> after the first one was, was, was brought back um, Collingwood had kicked a goal and the Collingwood chant was going up and they were all up and about and then it was probably about 40 seconds later that they said actually we need to take this back to the line it was a behind um, and it was just when GWS was starting to get rolling uh, and it, the, it changed the course of the game but it was the right decision and I think I tweeted at the time I'm like aren't we glad that the right decision was made like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be the ba- I don't that care should if be it the takes baseline. Two minutes, just get it yeah. right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So Collingwood uh, probably got away with one there, but they are obviously not there next week. But how do we rate their season overall? I mean, like you said, Jake, halfway through the year, both them and the Cats uh, were were raging hot favourites to probably meet in the grand final. Well, if you guys were, you know, smashing Brisbane for going out in straight <laughs> sets last week, I think there's more heat. Well, more heat has to go on the Cats and the Pies because, as we say, you know, 10 weeks ago, they were the two... You would, everyone kind of expected they would be in the grand final and, and it's crazy to think that neither of them are going to be there. Whereas Brisbane was like, well, can they make finals? And then can they make top six? Can they make top four? Can they win a, a final? I don't think Brisbane's years, Brisbane's final series sort of takes away from their great season. They're going to come back strong next year. I, I think no they're your second that. team, aren't they? Well, they... Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. might be. But the other two, it's like, well, they've mm. been in finals in recent times. The, the Lions hadn't played a final in 10 years. Let's not forget that. Collingwood and Geelong failed again. So, I, I challenge you on that. I think it's a disappointing season for both teams, especially Geelong in terms of, you know, 
a culmination of four or five years, they still haven't made a grand final. Mm. Um, but I sort of go back, I think Chris Scott was talking about it either last week, I don't know if it was post-match or pre-match, but sort of saying we don't give enough credit in the industry to making a preliminary final. And I, I'm with him. You, you, you get to the final four. I mean, you look at Collingwood, they get done. that game goes for another three or four minutes and they probably win that yeah. one. And then, but you're trying to sum up their whole season based on losing one game. So I, I think they'd be disappointed with the result. But in terms of for a whole season, yes, that I don't think the result on the weekend changes. Collingwood had a few concerns middle of the year, which they probably need to get right. Whether they won a premiership or not, they would need to address those concerns in the off season. And probably the same as Geelong in terms of their ball movement. When do they go fast? When do they go slow? I don't think winning this week and winning the grand final would have changed the way they sort of sum up their whole season and say, what do we get right and wrong? So I give them a lot of credit. I think that's fair. I think, I actually think Geelong had a really surprising season. I think pre before the season started, we all assumed that they might be on the fringes of the eight. The fact that they were on top of the ladder for most of the year and, and you know, they had a, a finals exit without the success that they wanted. But I'd, I'd consider the, the Geelong season to be a, a quite a, a big success. And I think, yeah, the Pies maybe maybe just didn't quite meet their expectations, but it's still a great achievement to, to play prelim. That's a good point, but you, when you sort of throw it forward to next year, I think you can almost swap the fortunes of the two teams, if that makes sense, because the Cats are probably going to lose Tim Kelly. Uh, Gary Ablett, we're not sure if he's going around again, but he's going to be another year older. I just fear that Geelong's window is closing. We say that they, they haven't been able to sort of capitalise on the list that they've had and the success in regular seasons that they've had and winning finals. At least I think that at least Collingwood has a few more years of, of well, Scott Pendlebury's still good, like Sidebottom, Trelaw, these sorts of blokes, Taylor Adams. They're still going to get a few more good, good years out of some really good players. Whereas the Cats, I mean, even Tom Hawkins, he's been around a long time. Joel yes. Selwood. Um, I worry about the, the Cats' window. the two players in the history of the, the game that have had the most three-vote Brownlow games? You, you would know this. Gaz in Danger? Gaz in Danger. So they got those two guys, the two, the guys that have had the most best on grounds of any players in the history. They got both of them in their team. I know Ablett's towards the end of his career, but they can't make a grand final. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's no wonder the Cats fans are disappointed. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll be watching on Saturday with um, a lot of, um, I guess, what could have jealousy been? of what could have been. Yep. Uh, enough about the losers though, because there is a grand final this <laughs> the week. Lose, the losers. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> being harsh in the industry terms, but yes, <laughs> we didn't to move on. That was a bit of a harsh segue. I do apologise, <laughs> but we do have a grand final uh, this this weekend, and I think as I said before, the Tigers are probably going to start warm favourites. You'd think uh, they met twice throughout the regular season, uh, each team winning their respective home games. So where do we sort of find a point of difference in here, Christian? So I, I go back to those two clashes that they had this year. and G, So as you said, GWS won at home by 49 points in round three. Richmond got them at the MCG in round 17 by 27 points. But looking at those two games, I think most of the, most of the talk this week is going to be they, they play two very different game styles. Richmond turnovers, Geelong, uh, GWS clearances. So in the first clash that GWS won, they actually outscored Richmond by 44 points from turnovers which is Richmond's strength. So that was Richmond's worst result for the year. Uh, in round 17, when GWS beat Richmond, uh, sorry, when Richmond beat GWS, Richmond al- allowed GWS to only score from 14% of their clearances. So GWS won the clearances for the game, but R- Richmond just defended and just did not let- allow them to score. That was their worst percentage this year. So the two previous games that have been played between these two, both teams have been able to take away the other team's strength. So it- it's been sort of great to watch, and it's almost puts them at ego. Equal pegging for this for this round. You just sort of wonder what the coaches, you know, the, the like, how many of coaches they have, you know, 10, 12. They all sit around the room and they think, how can we stop this other team from, from playing their style of footy? I mean, it would be fascinating to be a fly on the wall this week especially because 
I mean, that's it. It's it's all or nothing. And 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 as you say, both teams have such distinct strengths, but they've been able to take away those strengths in the in the, the home and away season. So I'm fascinated to see how that how that pans out. Uh, another sort of fascinating aspect to this game is we're likely to see some changes for both teams, Neil. Mm-hmm. And it seems like for both teams, there are going to be some players who are really, really stiff to miss out. It's something you never want to see in a grand final, but it's going to be the unfortunate reality. The unfortunate reality is, but it's, it's, I think the Giants will be absolutely stoked with their in. So they'll have um, Whitfield and Green definites, and it's all signs are pointing that Canelio might play, which is a risk. That would be the, the greatest trio to come in for a grand final. So talk about time. yeah. So <laughs> those three players rank third, fourth, and fifth at GWS for score involvements per game this year. So you've got... Cameron's their score. <laughs> yes, correct. Jeremy Cameron and uh, Josh Kelly are the top two. Then Green's involved in seven scores per game. Whitfield, 6.5. Canelio, 6.3. So, yeah, exactly that. Three huge in. So who, so who misses out? So we, are we going to assume that, that, um, that Bobby Hill, Hill comes out for... Yep. Green, Green is that forward, um, that smallish forward. Lockie Keefe was a, was an in last he week. He was good last week. He was excellent. He was really good last Kept week. Kept my check to about three touches. Yeah, uh, and, and offered a fair bit of drive. He's yeah. got a lot of pace for a big man. So I don't I don't know. Can, can you drop him? Um, Do you drop core? I mean, but then oh. Richmond have two big, big tall forwards that need to be locked down on as well. Well, Sam Taylor probably keeps his spot after a yeah. really good, good showing. So maybe he takes on one of those taller players. I mean. The questions are sort of all over the ground. Who do you drop? Maybe who 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 as a tall do you drop? Maybe for a small to mm. come in, or do you do you try and find a like for a like? Like is um, or do you stick with the winning formula? <laughs> no, you've got to get those three in, <laughs> at least oh, two. Sorry guys, you're not coming back. In. <laughs> sorry, Lockie and, and Toby. Oh, not... I'm a little bit. With, uh, I'm not sort of advocating for this, but I'm a little bit with Matt. I sort of said that to you guys this morning. It's it's hard to make changes to three changes to a three team changes. that's just got you through a a classic prelim, like a, a massive game. So. Yes, I'm bringing those three back in as well, but it is it is a tough call to make of how do we change this team by, you know, in the end, you're changing sort of six players from a winning team. I think team. we kind of said before, if it was, you know, they might be, you know, Jeremy Cameron is so valuable, obviously he kicks the goals, but they might be the three best players on the team, mm-hmm. you know, and it's mm-hmm. just like, if they were the 8th, 11th and 13th best players, and maybe they don't come back in and you just say, well, you guys are good players, but we've got here without you, but... I just don't see how you can not bring them back in. All of them, especially if Canelio is fit. Well, or Rich- fit enough to play. Well, Richmond do have that problem of maybe their 8th, 11th, 13th best player because uh, Jack Graham obviously dislocated his shoulder on Friday night, uh, went off, uh, came back on, uh, doing more damage to his shoulder, we don't know. We do know that he trained this morning very, very lightly. Uh, Nathan Broad got knocked out and it looked really ugly at the time. His, his head hit uh, a player's hip and then another player's knee and he then his hit head hit the ground. Times. Yeah. So he, he went off and didn't come back on. That, that they're, I think um, really confident that he'll play. I know concussion is a really awkward one and, and something that's becoming more and more, um, I guess, Important in if it in was sporting. round ten, I I would almost guarantee he doesn't play. The I next agree, week. but and, and then some... that that raises the ethical questions as well. Um, but the Tigers may may have two force changes. Yeah, uh, you know if that's mm-hmm. the case, and and that, those two will be stiff to miss out. So maybe Sydney Stack comes back. Well, in. I wonder Marlon if Pickett. the medical staff say he should not play. I wonder whether he says. Do, do they take into a, into account the fact that it's a grand final? Should they? Probably not. No, that, the medical on a moral the doctors level, they certainly shouldn't. shouldn't. The doctors shouldn't care what game it is. They should say, "Well, no, he's not right to play." The coaching staff and Broad himself would be, "Well, I want to play. It's a grand final." But you know, I don't think that that should change anything. If we if I we want to if we want to make everything safer and we want to protect role the players, models in society, then the AFL's at the just, forefront. Then you can't just do this and then. 
next year, next year in round three, it happens to someone else, and then everyone's up in arms. No, you, you've got to stick to stick to the processes here. Because I thought there was a point where if you were concussed, you didn't play the following week. I think that was a rule you weren't allowed a little to while play. ago. But because every concussion is so different, mm. um, I think they've relaxed that rule. Mm. But they're, they're putting more and more time and, and resources into you know trying to counteract it and trying to um, guard against it. But yeah, this is a really tricky one because I, I agree with you, Matt. I'm sure if it was round six or round eight or round 15, I bet you he would have a week off mm. um, and that would be a good decision. So quick question for the table, just unannounced. Uh, if, if I'm the doctor and you're the coach uh, and I come to you and say, uh, if this was mid-year, we'd tell him to have a week off, do you name him in your, in your team? Is he is he important enough to name in the team? I mean, it sounds harsh, but, you know... I mean, he's become a, a, a good role player, yeah. um, but he's certainly not in their top... 15 players he's probably. not like Canelio or players, Green so. yeah he's probably the probably on the bench you know he's, he starts on the ground but he's probably the 18th to 22nd but I'd like to think that maybe that Hardwick or anyone in, involved in this sort of decision making would think about the health of the player mm. before the possibility of, of winning silverware because they can win it without him um, imagine if he plays and he gets hit again and he gets knocked out what again. his parents think yeah, I, I don't think he plays look he's already got a premiership medallion I don't think it's hanging around his neck. Well, but, then but that raises a, a broader question about you know players who have contributed to maybe a final series getting premiership medallions if they get dropped. I mean, this is it's a whole wider argument, and we probably don't have time in the podcast, but you can read about it on ESPN.com.au if you want. Uh, and it, look, it is a serious week, guys, because obviously it's the, the biggest weekend of the, the footy calendar, basically. But we do want to have a little bit of fun uh, on the podcast while we still can. So before the grand final, we decided to have... Uh, put our heads together and come up with a combined best 22 from both teams that are going to be taken to the park uh, on Saturday. And Neil, you've got the results of what we've got. Would you like I to do. let us know well, what, what we've come up with? Yeah, it was just a fun little project and we tasked each of us to select a combined team but for concentrating on each part of the ground. So Jake's looking after the, the combined um, front six, the Fords. Yourself, Matt, you're doing the midfield and Christian is doing... The back line, and I've chosen the bench and the coach. Cop out. <laughs> it was it was a bit easier to just select the, the bench. Actually, <laughs> when it came down to the bench, there were so many good players left, it was actually quite difficult. You got uh, a I was going to say, there's a, a lot, lot of names, names uh, scribbled out. Yeah. Um, but with no further ado, Jake, you are in charge of um, selecting the front six. And um, just a little bit of a caveat, we are assuming that um, Canelio is going to play, um, and it is a team to, to play this Saturday. We're not looking at past... Um, careers or overall careers we're looking at the best 22 players to run out on the ground this Saturday so we'll start in the the full forward line so we've got uh, Rioli Lynch and Green and then on the half forward line Lambert Cameron and Edwards no Jack Rewalt. no no Jack Rewalt. again we, we just want to this isn't based on what they've done in their career. This is based on form right now and if you're playing tomorrow. And I know he's got a lot of credits in the bank and look, I, I was kind of saying this an hour ago that he's the kind of player that will be way out of form and come and kick four or five in the grand final and win he it for them. He is way out of form. You know, <laughs> he, he can do that. But again, if we're picking players on form, I don't think he gets in. And it's not like we're short of key forward talent. Jeremy Cameron is a Coleman medal winner and, and Tom Lynch might be one of the recruits of the year and he's, he's in terrific form. So... It's not as if we're crying out for a key forward for this team. I think we've got two really good ones there and we don't need a third. And the other two the other two key forwards were probably stiff to miss too in, in Himmelberg and, and Finlayson as well. So. Exactly. So there's, you know, I think you could probably put Finlayson in before um, before. Old Jack. mate Rewald. So, uh, 
Hmm. Double and, order. and what about your, your, your crumbing forward? I know that you umdenard over this. You've chosen um, Rioli, who probably hasn't had a fantastic season. No, he hasn't. But I think that that's probably the one area of the whole ground where both teams might be a little bit light. Toby Green, you know, obviously he's a he's a superstar in the forward line, but he he's more he can push more in the midfield. We want a genuine pressure crumbing forward. I think Rioli is probably the best of what what's available. Castagna was a name there. We Brent had Daniels. Daniels. I, I think Rioli is probably the one we want. Christian uh, raised a good point. Oh, yeah, I don't think you can leave a Rioli out of a grand final, can you? So yeah, you <laughs> have to pick not. him. His name gets him in. I like it. Uh, so midfield? Matt, you've got the midfield. So yeah, uh, without without uh, this is too my own horn. This was very tough to do, and I think I've done a pretty good job. Uh, I think you got <laughs> you stick Lockie Whitfield uh, fresh from his appendectomy onto the uh, one of the wings. Uh, Dustin Martin's in the centre with uh, Josh Kelly on the other wing. Underdard with a couple of people on, on the other wing as well. So that was a, a tough call because I don't think Kelly's had an outstanding final no, series or, or lead into the final series. So uh, he'll have to he'll have to prove himself on Saturday, that's for sure. Nankervis in the ruck, I think he's uh, he's pros- probably the best performed of the rucks uh, or the three rucks, Soldo and, and Mumford. Uh, Dion Presti has had a, a really excellent uh, final series and was, was amazing on Friday night, I thought. Uh, and Matt DeVoy, you, you can't go in without a tagger. And I think he's he's shown his worth over a consistently long period of time. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's the center line. So I'll tell you Good what, talent. there are a few stiff names to miss out. And uh, we've got a couple on the bench as well. But, you know, Brandon Ellis was going to be on the on the wing. I mean, Josh Caddy you could have put there. There's a few. Josh Hopper. Caddy. forgot about Josh Caddy. Mm. Uh, anyway, I'll pass it over. Christian, you've got the back line. I, which was, one, one, one Gee, maybe we should make a change. Is Josh Caddy <laughs> slotting to the forward line? Uh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Josh Caddy does not make this 22. Oh. Um, but also, also, the only surprise I had there was um, I thought Soldo had been better this final series than Nank, and I thought that he might be a better option. They're, they're all three similar type rucks, but um, but yeah, bank I'll, on I'll, Nank, bank on Nank, blue chip Nank. <laughs> Christian, backline, backline. Yeah, so starting from the full back line, so back pocket Dylan Grimes, uh, full back Phil Davis, and the other uh, the other back pocket Heath Shaw, mm. and across half back I got Bashar Hooley, Nick Haynes, and Zach Williams. Um, and yeah, the apologies go to Nick Vlosten for that one. <laughs> can't really, can't really apologise though because it's a bloody good six. Christian came came to the pre-podcast meeting and said, "I've got seven names and I can't fit seven into." <laughs> I six. need one on the bench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so he did lobby to get Vlosten in the bench, yeah. but um, uh, you know, it's a great mix of, of key defenders and, and running defenders and, and lockdowns. Slightly off as well. topic, but is, is Shaw the only player? That will play for the Giants that's played in the grand final? No, Mum, in 2013. Mum, Mumford. And Mumford's yeah, a premiership three. player. Yeah. Shaw's had a, a... I thought he looked a bit cooked at the, the midway point of the year, but he's had a really strong sort of last He looked a little, year. without sounding disrespectful, fat, but and he's old. still moving. Yeah. Oh, I won't give away my sort of... Uh, how about stat? But I, I sort of get to cover him, and it's it's the defensive he's sure that we're seeing this year that he's not getting enough credit for. How, how Staying well close to golf, doesn't want to move up the... Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the reason. <laughs> Uh, and finally, we've got the bench and the coach, Neil, the uh, the cop-out section. <laughs> the cop-out section. I mean, pretty. Th- these are the omissions. Jack Rewatt, obviously, didn't didn't make the forward line. He doesn't make the cut. Uh, uh, How can you not have him on the bench? <laughs> <laughs> Jacob Hopper doesn't make the cut. Been good. Um, Harry Himmelberg, Finlayson, Caddy, Perryman, and Ellis. Ellis all don't make the cut. Um, so the interchange bench, bench is Vlosten. Cornelio comes in. Uh, Taranto and Cochin. Cochin only just snuck into this. Mm. We agonised over Cochin for for some time. We really did. I think it was either going to be Cochin or Rewalt missing out, and we would have shuffled the team around accordingly. Yep. But I kind of, in my opinion, was that we can't really, you know, if we're picking a team, I think Cochin's got to play. I know he hasn't been spectacular, 
but he's the premiership captain. I think he's the kind of guy you want out there on grand final day. We've got we've got enough key forwards, as I said. And if you can't get Ben Brown in the All Australian team when he was <laughs> a whisker away from winning the Coleman Medal, then you can't have three key forwards in this team. I don't think. I think the stiffest player is Jacob Hopper. Um, mm. So especially during the final series, so he's been number one at the Giants for disposals, contested possessions, and clearances during this final series. So again, I know it's probably Canelio's probably coming in for Hopper, but. You know, it's it's almost sacrosanct to say I have Hopper ahead of Cochin in terms of if we're looking he, he at was, recent form. If you, we're you, picking you, a team for Saturday, yeah, you yep. got to like the way Hopper's played for the last three weeks. His head the over the footy on the weekend was was second to none. Really, he stepped up beautifully in the absence of a number of key movers. So we could we could argue this all we day. Really, really. Could. We, you know, good thing that there are two teams playing on the weekend and and we get to watch uh, watch the best of them duke it out. And and this wasn't a, oh, yes, a, this wasn't a, a preordained um, no, number. Coach, we haven't got the coach. We yet. haven't got the coach yet. But just um, look, uh, looking at those names, it was eleven giants and eleven tigers. So it goes oh. to show the well that the bodes quality. well for the grand final. It does. And so the tiebreaker, if you like, is the coach. And I've got Hardwick. A nose ahead, just ahead of what um, Leon Cameron's done. You've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Back the uh, the Tigers and well, little Tigers win. by a point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. I like that. But it is uh, time to move on. How about stat with Champion Data? Uh, look, most of us probably know what we're going to get from uh, Dustin Martin, Toby Green, Jeremy Cameron, and Tom Lynch on the weekend. But there are a few lesser lights who have uh, have been pretty impressive throughout the final series, and we thought we'd task Christian with uh, finding out a little about each of the team's sort of fringe players and lesser lights. Uh, and he's come back with, geez, probably two or three pages worth of notes on what we can expect from from uh, some of the fringe players on Saturday. So where would you like to start? Yeah, Christian? we'll start with Richmond, the home team. So again, Dylan Grimes um, getting all the love in the defence this year. Alex Rance is their superstar defender. David Asprey is always the one that sort of, yes, people like to speak about him here and there, but he probably doesn't get enough credit uh, for how well he's gone. So this season he's had the fourth best defensive rating of any player. So that's... What do you keep your op- opponents to compared to their season average? Is that average? any player... Is, is that league-wide? Uh, yes, that was league-wide. Sorry, that was of key defenders, though. So Sorry, yeah. yeah. yeah but so that, the yeah, way so that they restrict position, their... Correct. Yeah. So he keeps his opposition to 44% below their usual output. That's pretty good. But you saw the fourth best. The best in that stat is Tom Barras, who's about, at, at about 67% <laughs> defensive rating. Uh, so Asprey, yeah, great sh- great shutdown defender. Better than Grimes. Well, that's um, interesting because <laughs> Barras is probably a... Th- third defender you probably call him a third defender as well so I wonder if they benefit from having blokes like like Grimes or, or like you know McGovern give him and, the chop yeah. out in front mm. yeah it would help so but with David Asprey he can actually be uh, quite offensive so he's won 40% of his defensive one-on-one so again if you're defending a one-on-one your main goal is not to lose it you either want to win it or neutralize mm, it we have sort of quite high, we it? sort of have two different ratings so winning 40% that's seventh best of the top 50 so not only is he shutting down his opponent he can actually sort of win the ball either at, you know in the air or at ground level from those one-on-ones and get it going back Richmond's way um, as a defender, we probably all think he's, you know, that word dower, or he, he just stops. He just, you know, he's just a stopper. He's actually above average for metres gain and disposals this year. So he is giving a little bit of drive, you know, above average as compared to all other key defenders. So sort of giving you that drive um, out of the back line. Um, just looking at his sort of record against GWS in recent times, he kept Himmelberg to two goals in his past sort of four games against him, uh, which includes three Two goals stri- total? Two goals total. So I think... Uh, Four games ago, he played on Himmelberg, had two kicked against him. The last three times those two have played, they've spent about 80% of time on each other and he hasn't conceded a goal in so any of those assume, three matches. So you'd assume he'd probably that, go to him that again? That looks like the likely And this up. is a slight tangent, but then that who who would then be the natural fit for Jeremy Cameron? Would that probably be Grimes. Grimes? Yeah, even though Grimes can play really small, you reckon Grimes will be... Oh, I, think I think he's so. got to be... I think he's in terms the of athleticism, yeah. yeah. He's, he's the one that would match up best, I think. And I think, he, again, he generally goes to the most... 
whether it's danger, a Charlie yeah. Cameron or a Jeremy Cameron, I think he'll just play on either of them. Sorry, Christian, I sidetracked your, no, no, um, that's your, so, your discussion. But that's here. the beauty of him. He can mm. play on in either of those. Not many, not many so, defenders can. Yeah, just looking at Asprey, he did go on Jeremy Cameron for 23 minutes we had in the um, round three game earlier this season and conceded one goal to him. So he is an option to use on Jeremy Cameron. He has sort of spent a little bit of time on him in the Extrapolate past. Extrapolate that. Mm-hmm. It's a goal a quarter. It's not ideal. Yeah, that's true. Maybe a Norm Smith option. Who knows? Who else <laughs> we got on that list? Uh, so I'll go to... Um, the little note I got here is Richmond's Toby Green. Richmond's, Richmond's Toby, Toby Green. Green. Without without the uh, without the sort of <laughs> the, aggro uh, the aggro sort of <laughs> side of it, but uh, Kane Lambert uh, again. Everyone sort of you know every five or six weeks people go, oh geez, Kane Lambert's a really good. Like player. The opposite in mannerisms, aren't they? I, Toby yeah, Green yeah. and Kane Lambert. And I know he came. Did he win the BNF or come second in their BNF in their Premiership year? So he does have the accolades. He, he's got the accolades <laughs> to sort of. Uh, to go with it, producer but I don't Jesse think... knew that. <laughs> yeah, just had the two fingers up. <laughs> I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for for the way he's gone this year. So he's actually third for score involvements per game at Richmond. So that's behind uh, Martin and Lynch. Um, and there's only four general forwards in the competition that are elite at disposals, contested possessions, and uncontested possessions, and at least above average for tackles. So that's winning the ball either you know in space or contested, as well as tackling defensively. Um, and the four players are Gary Ablett, Luke Dalhouse, Toby Green, and Kane Lambert. So to be sort of put into that category, I don't think he's Mm. getting as much love as probably those other three players got across the season. Um, And he's averaging, you know, playing 68% as a general forward, 22 disposals and 15 uncontested possessions per game. He he can, he becomes Richmond's seventh midfielder or even eighth midfielder once Shane Edwards comes in there as well. But Mm. yeah, Kane Lambert's sort of going to give him a lot of drive in that forward half. I actually asked uh, producer Jesse a couple of weeks ago who his favourite Richmond player was, and he said Kane Lambert. And I I was a bit surprised by that. I thought but it was I the think, number one ticket but, holder of the Sydney Stack fan club. Yeah, but but I think that almost shows that he is underrated because if you know if a Tigers fan is saying yeah he's my he's my favourite player he's so good you know and I'm kind of like really he is he's an underrated he's player under the radar. Um, so another one from Richmond, Liam Baker, um, who's sort of been I've liked, uh, I've liked his game. He's been a regular since round eighteen. So a lot of these stats are just looking at that time period from round eighteen onwards. He's been second at the club for defensive fifty ground ball gets. <laughs> And fifth at the club for overall ground ball gets. So he's just sort of that you know, that Hoover. He's sort of picking it up off, off the ground. Yeah, Hoover. <laughs> uh, equal fourth for intercept possessions in that time. And across the whole season, he's applied the fourth most pressure points per game of any general defender in the comp. So it's something that Richmond probably don't have. They they used Edwards down there earlier in the season. They still use him at bits. But they probably don't have that, uh, that real pressure sort of defender that, you know... Um, They've got their lockdowns in Grimes and Asprey. They've got the runners in Hawley. But, yeah, Liam Baker just gives them something different. He can actually sort of, um, yeah, chase those small forwards around. So I think he'll be harassing, uh, you know, blokes like Brent Daniels and Toby mm. Green. I thought he had a day. really good prelim, uh, the second half especially. I think his first half, it almost seemed like the, the occasion was a little bit too much for him. 95,000 screaming fans. Uh, he probably scrubbed a couple of kicks. And, and he himself, I talked to him after the game, first to admit that his first half wasn't great and he sort of, um, took himself down to the rooms at halftime and, and sort of really focused on, on having a, a bigger impact. And I thought he mm. was pivotal in sort yeah. of that, that, I, that run and dash. I remember sort defense. of commenting the same thing against Brisbane. He probably didn't do a lot in the, against Brisbane in that final, but there was just a 10-minute period where he did three mm. or four really good things in a row. And you just thought... Sparks he, a few he, offensive yeah. runs. and Just, and to, just to get, get your hand in there and get the ball out of bounds. Just little things that sort of, you know, don't get don't get noticed as much. But he just the sort of... one one is eh? He is. He sort of... Um, they don't record stats for that. <laughs> but <laughs> hang on, they do. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's the type of player that's, as I said, he just gives them something different out of that back line for him. Uh, and then one more from Richmond is Shy Bolton, who um, 
you know, I'd almost put my hand up to say I'm I'm almost the number one ticket holder <laughs> of the Shy Bolton fan club, but that's for that's for another Better day. Than but, Sydney staff. Uh he could be. Um <laughs> he's uh so Shy Bolton's third at Richmond for forward half pressure from round twenty onwards. Uh forty nine percent of the time he's involved in a chain Richmond score, which is the second highest percentage behind Rewalt, mm. but he's been involved in six or seven more chains than Rewalt per game. Uh the other one is third for points at the uh, at the club, he's third for points created from turnovers caused by his pressure. So again, chasing the the ball carrying defenders out of Richmond's forward line, causing that turnover and uh, Richmond is scoring from him. Um, since round 20, again, he's second for kicks inside 50 that have resulted in marks. So he's not only chasing the defenders out, he's actually getting the ball and hitting targets inside 50. Um, and just looking at the last game he played against GWS, one of his uh, better, better games of his career, he had a career-high 29 disposals against him in round 17. I think we've yeah. seen this year what he really is capable of. He had another game against Fremantle uh, over in the West where he was out- outstanding, possibly the best player on the ground. Um, and, and even on Friday night, there were just moments where he would get the ball or he'd be chasing something. He just, there's a dy- dynamic sort of edge to him that I think's sort of... He, he sounds like the sort of player that could really have a 10 to 20 minute patch in a grand final and, and swing momentum either way. Yeah. So I, I really like that selection as well. And just a little uh, side note as well, speaking of stats that don't get recorded, I did hear on, on the commentary on the weekend when um, it must have been Jack Revolt tapped it over the back uh, and, it, and it went in the, into the lap of someone and, and they kicked a goal from the goal square and they said, oh, do you get a stat for that? And they, oh, I must have been on the radio and they said, yeah, 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 you get a a goal assist. I'm like, well, actually, you get a few more. One than off, that. yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, no. Knock on and so all these sorts of things. My dad asked, he's a Richmond sporty, and he actually asked me the next day, what did Jack Rewalt get for that punch out of the pack? I said, picture him taking the contested mark and handballing it. He gets the same value of that. Obviously, he doesn't get a mark and a handball. Yeah. But it encompasses the exact same sort of yeah. runoff stats from that. So, it's so there you go. Ash Chua from Triple M. Make sure you're, uh, you're on top of that <laughs> next time. Uh, who have we got from the Giants that can, can really make an impact? It's a, a bit of a lesser light. Yeah, so um, sort of starting their forward line. I mean, we mentioned his name when we were going through small fours before, but Brent Daniels. Um, so across the season, being 16th for in the competition for forward 50 ground ball gets. Uh, number one for forward 50 crumbs. So that's actually winning it straight off a marking contest. Um, so that's him winning the ball at ground level. Uh, 56 points he's created from turnovers caused by his pressure. That's number one at the Giants this season. So it, the Giants took him pretty early in the draft because I think they had that, that exact role set out for him. He's going to be our pressure forward. They've, they tried Zach Langdon last year. He hasn't played as many games this year. I think Brent Daniels has sort of overtaken that role. Um, and he's yeah, doing quite well at it. So second most pressure acts at the club behind Tim Taranto. Um He's also had uh, 1.6 score assists per game, which is equal third of all general forwards across the competition. Um, and just a little quirky one. So across the home and away season, he was he kicked nine goals, um, 16 behinds and six mixed shots, which gives him an overall accuracy of 29%, which was uh, the third worst of 114 players with at least 13 shots. So right down the bottom. Uh, he kicked zero three and had one miss in the first final against the Bulldogs. So it didn't help his numbers there. Jeez, lucky so to be playing. He's had two shots at goal the last two weeks. Kicked them both. Both being no, both important great goals. Exactly goals too. that. Yeah. So he hasn't missed one in two weeks. Um, he's you know uh, again not so big he's numbers. So he's due to miss one. Well, <laughs> you could look at it that way, or he's actually yeah got his radar on at the right time of the season. So uh, again, he's kicked two very crucial goals the last two weeks. He'd be the one if they're if they're scrounging for a goal late in the third or fourth quarter. You'd be sort of keeping your eye on him. He might mm-hmm. pop up and kick one. Uh, another one I look at is Sam Taylor uh, in GWS's defence. Again, a lot of it, Phil Davis and Nick Haynes get all the uh, all the accolades down there. So one thing with Sam Taylor, he's actually one of the better players on a lead. So he concedes the mark, the seventh fewest to a leading player of the top 30. So he can he can get on his bike and sort of, um, you know, if you picture him, if he's, if he's playing on a Jack Rewald who does get up on a lead, he's going to be with him step for step. Mm. Uh, most I think I noticed that on the weekend is he was 
the man punching the ball a lot, yeah. following following players out of the goal square. And I think the conditions obviously helped. Everything was a bit slower, but but he was right with his opponent most of the way and, and getting his, his fist to the ball a lot. Yeah, good size, really good athleticism for his height as well. Just had a bit of a nervous moment when he decided to punch yeah. that ball with about yeah, 10 seconds gone, left. Yeah, anyway. So I think oh I, I was sort of talking about that in the office. I think game awareness. So yeah. a lot of people are sort of saying you should have marked that. I've gone the opposite way. Why wouldn't she punch it 20 metres backwards? A, a behind for Collingwood wins GWS that game. And he was just Mel Michael style. Well, he was yeah. He was at the tip of the goal square. You punch that through. You get a free kick. You sort of you know be able to take the heat off. I know he didn't know how long was left, but all they had to yeah. do is have twenty five seconds after that kick in, and they, they've won the game. He's still but a pretty you young player yeah. though. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty hard to, to yeah. Really it was sort make of that argument decisions. we're having in the office of oh, you should have marked it. I said no, no, Split you should have punched it. But he as well. punched it the other yeah, way, punched, but shouldn't have punched it straight back into the middle. Might have the Giants by four points. So looking at Sam Taylor as well, he played on Tom Lynch in round three. I know uh, sort of the caveat on that is Tom Lynch was, you know, took took a while to get going this season, missed a lot of the preseason. But talking about the tag rating, as I said before, or the defensive rating, it was 58% on Tom Lynch. So he kept kept Tom Lynch to 58% below his season output in that time they played on each other. He's also spent time on Jack Rewalt this year where he had a defensive rating of 15%. So he's beaten both those players in time spent on him this year. So he's going to be a, Jeez, a good option mm, for either of them. Matchups uh, just uh, brewing nicely for this this match. Do we have uh, one? We've got, probably got time for one more. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go Heath Shaw. And again, a 300-game player, how can you say he's flown under the radar? But the thing well, with me is it's, it's defensive Heath Shaw. So we know loves to get the ball, loves to kick it out of the back line, get it out of He takes all their kick-ins. I think he averages about 14 kicks and three handballs per game, so we know what he likes to do with it. But he's actually, he, and he's defending a one-on-one. He's been outstanding this year. So 50 one-on-ones defended. He's been outmarked three times in that in those 51. So it's sort of the eighth best percentage of the top 60 defenders. But he actually takes his own mark 22% of the time, which is number one of the top 60. So he can, I think it is, it's it's the experience. I think he's playing on a on a smaller forward most weeks and I think he's just outsmarting him in the air that, that the, the little bit of body work that he's uh, able to put on to so take those marks and being second at the Giants in intercept possessions this year so other years he's al- always been that again a, a term that we've laughed about on that he's always been the quarterback he's someone you give the ball to <laughs> and get him to get it out to of there say, I was just swear I was just about to say there's a, there's a lot of Luke Hodge in him in terms of Similarities in terms of the... The switch of his game, yeah. yeah. He's become that offensive defender, whereas this year he's really become that defensive lockdown player and, and again, probably hasn't got the doesn't credit he deserves. Doesn't get the Hodge credit. credit I like it. <laughs> oh, I like very that. That's, uh, that's very good. Um, I, th- I think you're right when, when you sort of say that Heath Shaw this year has had to sort of transform his game a bit to become more defensive because in the past he's been a bit loose. And now they've got they've probably got other people that can play that attacking role like Zach Williams and... Um, and others as well, so he can just and maybe full concentrate. credit to him for actually being able to do it, yeah. especially so late in his career. Mm. And you know, many people thought he might have been done a couple of years ago. Yep. Uh, anyway, we need, we need to move on. I've had a gutful. Uh, Jake, you've just stepped off stepped off a plane, as, as we said, but you still managed to find something you've had a gutful of. And <laughs> I agree with you 100%. I think last so. time we came back from a Grand Prix was he had a gutful of Melbourne, Melbourne Airport. Airport. Is it going to be Melbourne Airport again? Well, Melbourne the Airport is, the is a hole. But um, no, we won't, we won't pot the airport again. But no, I was, I was waiting um, to fly back and I had the Brownlow up and, and I'm a big fan of the Brownlow. I, I love to watch it. I love to... I love to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think you can say you can have a wager um, occasionally. And I was I had the the, the live live um, tracker up and all that stuff on my laptop, waiting for the my flight. And the AFL said this year that they were going to speed it up and and get it moving. Well, that didn't happen because I ended up missing it, and I had to get on the plane. I had to board the plane, and I was actually it was around twenty one as the plane was taking off. I I didn't put my phone on. Flight oh, mode hold on! Until the last second, <laughs> you're that sort of person. Well, it was the brown though, and. and <laughs> 
I was. I went. I got, <laughs> got the the airline security be damned. <laughs> the, the plane has to make an emergency landing somewhere, and they say oh, someone's four G was turned on, and and they find out it's you, and your excuse is well, it's, it's the, the brown low. Yeah, and I had the the um the names were the votes were sort of appearing, and then it just got so high where they just stopped coming. <laughs> and luckily at that point, I've kind of figured Fife was going to win. And then eight hours later, I, I turn my phone on and Fife's sure got the medal around his neck. But um, what I'm disappointed about, most things I have a gutful of are things that have only really happened once and I whack it. But this happens every year. This drags on too long. Like, I'm all... It's great that they've shortened the actual count, but the actual... Um, other the, awards the, the winner, and the, the... The medal winner still isn't announced till close to 11 o'clock at night. There's a lot of ancillary They could start it stuff. half an hour earlier. Like, I think it started... They started an hour late. It's like, yeah. okay, we're going to shorten it. You're going to shorten the actual count, but you're just starting it an hour later and you're going to have an, an hour extra of looking at people's clothes on the on the steps on the... of Crown Casino. I don't care about that. They could have... They could have... Uh, they could move some of the other awards, like the Jim Steins Award, Mark of the Year, Goal of the Year, to the All-Australian Night. Yeah. You know, spread the love a bit and, and make the focus the brown low and maybe the red carpet because obviously that gets a lot of viewers as well. Yeah, that but, would work. And and some performances and the retiring players. Like, I, I get it. It's nice, that sort of stuff. But just move it yeah. along, guys. It's a long yeah. night. Even for the most ardent footy fan, it's a long night. Next year. AFL. <laughs> We've got a lot of requ- requests for Gil this year, haven't we? Sort out the arc. <laughs> Shorten the brown line. He's got a busy off-season. All right, let's move on. And the three votes goes to... Speaking of keeping it brief, we are running out of time, so I'll keep this brief. But Jack Graham, what an effort on the weekend. Um, to come off with a popped shoulder, that's bad enough. I've had a, I had a popped finger once when I was a kid, and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. So let alone a shoulder. He goes off. I don't think I'm going to see him again for the rest of the night or the rest of the year. He comes back on, lays three tackles in the second half, allows Richmond an extra rotation, uh, and, and without him, oh, maybe they would have won without him, but gee, he, his contribution helped Richmond win that football game. And as a result, a bit of a catch-22, he might now not play on Saturday because, because of that shoulder. And I just think it's an, an amazing effort from a young player. That, it, it certainly was an amazing effort. And, and if he does miss and the Tigers win, that probably... I guess strengthens your argument that it shouldn't just be the 22 that get premiership medals because he did so much and he Pivotal. he sacrificed his body to get them there. So, yep. I mean, no. a great club first mentality, but um, you know, I really hope we see him on Saturday because he, he deserves a crack at an, an, another flag. Uh, we are here for footytips.com.au. There is one week left of tipping if your competition does include finals. Uh, I won't go around and get our upsets and certainties because there is just the one game. But Neil, you have some interesting footy tip stats heading into this weekend. Yeah, I'll be very brief. Um, just to look ahead at the the, the tippers still tipping. Uh, we got 71% um, going for the Tigers and 29% going for the Giants, which probably seems about right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, who knows what what the upsets might might keep on coming on Saturday. But I would like very quickly to go around the table for a margin and Norm Smith. We'll start with you, Matt. Uh, Tip and margin and Norm Smith. GWS by three points, and my Norm Smith's going to be Nick Haynes. Richmond by 11 points and Dylan Grimes to win the Norm Smith medal. Yeah, Richmond by 18. Uh, Prestia for my Norm Smith. Mm. I've also got Prestia. Um, I th- don't think he'll get the attention of, of DeBoer or anyone else. So I think he might slip under the radar and he's been huge. And I'll go the Tigers by 21. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think I'm barracking for the the miracle upset. You don't seem, a little you don't bit. seem or sound too confident. No, but I, I I said to you before the podcast, Jake, that I tipped against GWS three times in a row during the final series, so I might as well jump on the bandwagon <laughs> now. 
Uh, anything else to add, Neil? That's all, mate. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Looking forward to Saturday. Uh, make sure you rate and subscribe. There is only one week left, but we will be back on Monday, special Monday edition after the grand final. Uh, enjoy it, and we will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.